millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Episode of the Coaches Network. I'm Coach Yas, and today I'm joined by my co host as usual, Ben. How's it going, Ben? Not bad. Ready for an insightful talk. Brilliant. Um, and our very special guest today, we're going to be joined by ex-professional footballer for Man United, MK Dons, and Cambridge United, just to name a few, Luke Chadwick. Morning, Luke. How are you, mate? Morning, guys. I'm good, thank you. Hope you are too. Perfect. Luke, we're not going to waste any time. We'll get straight into it. So talk to us. You know, obviously, you started off as, an, as a player, eventually went into coaching. Where did that whole journey start for you? Um, to be honest with you, I would never had any inclination to be a coach as a player. I was just sort of floating through my career as a lot of players do in terms of I didn't really have a plan of what I was going to do afterwards. And then you sort of start coming towards the end and you're thinking, what am I going to do now really? And sort of sort of fell into that coaching path because I think I was under the illusion of what, that, that's all I can do is to stay in football because I've never really done anything else I've never gone through any other education to anything else so I was quite narrow-minded in the fact that I just do my coaching badges and go into a coaching role at a professional football club so I sort of went through my coaching really enjoyed it enjoyed my coaching qualifications probably done them all probably a little bit too quickly in terms of rushing them in pushing them all together so I was at a point where I could take a job at a a club and have a role there so it weren't it weren't planned at all it weren't a passion of mine coming up I was a qu- real quiet lad I'd never sort of just done my job on the pitch really weren't really a leader in the dressing room in terms of vocally talking to people but just tried to work as hard as I can so coaching weren't something I planned to do as a young player coming through it's something I sort of fell into I'd said when I came towards the end of my career you know, just touching on that, and you're coming back to the start of your, I guess, your playing career. Where did that begin? And how did that journey go on? Obviously, you know, you came through, you know, at, at Man United initially, um, and then obviously went on to play for a host of different clubs. Am I just talking to us a little bit around that aspect of thing? You know, how you, how your playing journey started, in fact. So playing journey, probably just playing in the back garden as probably a four, five, six year old, my dad and brother, and then I think I got real serious, not serious, but fell in love with the game completely after me. My old man took me to my first live game of football. So he used to take me to 
I grew up near Cambridge, so he took me to the Abbey Stadium to watch Cambridge United play. And the second I saw the players come out, the atmosphere being so close to the players, I just fell in love with it. I thought, this is what, what I want to do. I couldn't believe how it made me feel, how nervous I felt and excited just going into the stadium and feeling that atmosphere. So after that, I used to maybe fantasise about being one of the players on the pitch, out in the garden playing by myself, then starting organised football at under nines back when I started playing. That was in a, and that was straight into 11 aside on a full-size pitch. So because I was really fast for my age, I used to play as a striker and uh, the other kids used to whack the ball over the top. I used to chase after it and then just tap it in the goal. So I used to get loads of joy as a real, loads of success as a young player, which probably gave me the confidence that I was better than everyone else and to sort of keep keep practicing and keep progressing really. Where I grew up was a, a little village at the south of Cambridgeshire where it's not exactly a, a hotbed of talented footballers. So that was probably a good thing for me because I was probably quite a long way ahead of everyone else in terms of because I was so fast and got that joy. That gave me the emphasis to go and practice more and improve technically and then sort of come further and further away from the from my peers that I was playing with and from that got noticed by professional clubs as an under 13 I spent a season at Arsenal in their school of excellence so that was training on a weekday and then playing on a Sunday and then I was started playing schools football for Cambridge schools where the the best players from all the local schools would come together and play on a Saturday morning in quite a competitive league with teams from all over the area and that's when I got spotted playing to go to Man United, got scouted for United from there. Because, I, again, I was scoring a lot of goals and sort of had a reputation. And then from the moment I went up to United, it was probably as a 14-year-old, the rest was history. I, I loved playing football, but at the same time, I was quite quiet and reserved. I never really enjoyed going to Arsenal. I was more happy playing with my mates. So I'd sort of make excuses up sometimes to my mum that I... I couldn't go, I had homework to do or something I need to catch up on. So, But then the second I went to Man United, like the environment, the way I was made to feel, it was it was mad. I, was, like, I just loved it. I couldn't, from the moment they asked me to sign, I just couldn't wait for the school holidays where I'd spend all my time up there because of the, the culture and environment that was built there. So from there, moved left school at 16, moved up to United in Digs to become a scholar. Then... Two years as a scholar, went on loan to Royal Antwerp in Belgium, which was an incredible experience to go and sample life in a different country, both footballing and as a life experience. And then when I come back from Antwerp as a 19-year-old, that's when I had a spell in the United first team and went on to have a career in the game. Just just on that, you know, you talked there about you know, being a scholar coming through it around, uh, it's around the 99 time, isn't it? 97, 98. Uh, yeah. So you were there during the whole treble winning season and whatnot. You know, that must have been euphoric for everyone around, around the environment. Yeah, it was an amazing season. Obviously, I went anywhere near around yeah. the first thing, but we went, to, we went to the cup final. I remember going to the cup final. With, we had all our Man United suits on with all the scholars and obviously bowling around Wembley like we thought we owned it like, it, like it is back then. And then we went out to the new Camp and walked out. It was um, like amazing to be around the club that season and that what was achieved something that I think is going to be really hard to ever achieve again but it was um, 
a wonderful place to be around. And I think all that success come from the environment that the manager built throughout the whole the whole football club from top to bottom, really. Brilliant. And just on that, you know, you talk there about the environment. What was it really about the environment at United that really set it apart from anywhere else that maybe seen before and I guess gave you that that extra motivation kind of, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do sort of thing? Yeah, it all came from from the manager, really. He was, the way he treated people, the way he built relationships with people, the way he treated the dinner ladies to the kit man to the first team was all the same. Everyone was pulling in the same direction. The first time I went up to United on trial as a 14-year-old boy, I had a week up there and then played a game at the end of the week against Nottingham, Nottingham Forest at Littleton Road and the manager was there watching because he'd taken interest in everything going on at the club. By the time I'd got the train home and got back to Cambridge, Sir Alex had been on the phone to my mum to ask if I'd signed for the club as a schoolboy. And to, to have that, immediately you feel like you owe the man something, like you want to run a little bit harder than you think you can. And that was the same with everyone because he'd treat everyone with so much respect, make them feel so important, make them feel like they were doing their little job for the club that you'd want to do a little bit more for them. At the same time, people speak about the the hairdryer treatment and if he shouted at your hair, how scared you'd been. And like, don't get me wrong, it, it's scary if the man shouted at you, but worse than that, it was a feeling of letting the great man down. That was the worst feeling. All you'd want to do as a Man United player was, or a Man United member of staff was to do something that the manager thought would like to get praise from the manager. And the worst thing in the world was to, to have him tell you off because that feeling of letting, you, letting him you down was the worst feeling in the world. And the feeling of him saying you'd done well was the best feeling in the world. So it all came from, from Sir Alex, that culture and environment that he brought there. At the same time, it was like everyone was always pleased to see you. Whatever, like whenever you went up there as a 15-year-old, an 18-year-old, whenever you went into club, it was like everyone was delighted to see you. Everyone was delighted to be there. Everyone was enjoying their work. That was, that was the culture of the place and what the, the success of the club was built around. And um, just on that, just harking them back a bit, you said that you were like 18, 19 when you went to Antwerp. And uh, I know naturally people kind of look from the outside in in football and think, oh, yeah, players need to go on loan and get their experience and all this, but you moved to a whole nother country. Uh, how was that experience for you as a person and as a player? Like, how did that help your development? Yeah, so um, I finished my second year scholar and I'd had a really good scholarship and there was talk around the club that I'd be involved with the first team when I, when I went back in that summer and I went back in and I weren't in great shape. I thought I was 18 years old. I'm living the life of professional footballer. They're talking about me being the first team. I didn't, do enough over that pre-season to go back fit enough to compete. I went back in not a great place physically and it was soon current that I weren't ready to be in the first team squad. So I was delighted to be told that I was going out to Antwerp. A couple of my friends from the youth team were already out there. They took me out there to watch a game and I watched the game and it, it blew my mind. It was Antwerp were at home. It was a cup game and I was just in the crowd and the atmosphere was electric. It was sort of, the fans were really passionate. There was all the smoke bombs in the air. It was that real European feel to it. And I was thinking, I can't wait to get out here and, and play in front of this. I'm used to playing at Gig Lane in front of 20, 30 people in reserve team games. I, I want a piece of this. So I was delighted to go out there. And when I 
I went out there and I think I came on and scored in my debut and the crowd were all singing my name. And that was my first really experience of first team football. And to, to, to have that in front of these fans in a different country was, was amazing, really. In terms of a, a life experience, it was a great opportunity to learn about yourself. We were living in a hotel, three lads in quite a lively city. It was about sort of knowing what you can and can't do and really being professional about what you're doing. And it was, it was an incredible experience, both growing up as a, as a young lad and to, to for, for my first time to be playing regularly in the first team. And um, as well as that, you obviously had uh, a couple of uh, loan spells at Reading and, and Burnley and so on. Like, how was that uh, for you in terms of managing it? Because, like, I know you came, you came through the United setup, and every kid obviously has the dream that they want, you know, because United, you want to finish your career, United or whatever, and so on. Uh, how was it, like, managing those sort of expectations when, like, you had to go back out on loan and stuff like that? Yeah, when I went to my two loans at Reading and Burnley, I knew by that stage that my, my time at United was over, really, in terms of being a first-team player. After the, the season where I played a few games, the next season I started suffering a bit with groin and pelvis mm. sort of problems that resulted in surgery. And the, probably the one outstanding asset to my game was, was my speed, really. I was maybe a bit of a a one-trick pony in terms of that was my game. I'd, I'd be a knocker and a runner to get past people. And I've maybe lost a little bit of that pace. And after that, didn't really have enough to succeed at United. I weren't like Bex who could, if he weren't getting joy out wide, could drop back, get the ball off the centre-half and ping a 70-yard free ball. Or Giggs who could come inside and was more intelligent with his play. I was sort of just one that would stay really wide and play from there. So... The manager spoke to me and said, like, there's not going to be a career for you at Man United without that real pace. And it's going to be real tough to find a career at the top level without that sort of outstanding attribute that you did have. So, although disappointing, I appreciated that honesty. So, my two loan spells at Reading and Burnley were sort of just trying to find another pathway, another journey to still stay in the game and still sort of forge your career in professional football. And you, you managed to do that. You know, you ended up from that point expanding another maybe 12 to 15 years. <laughs> so I think you did relatively well in that respect. Um, so obviously, you know, you've had your two loans, Reading, Burnley. You've probably, then you then ended up at West Ham. What was that like? Yeah, I was delighted to, to sign for West Ham. Alan Pardew signed me, who I worked with Alan at, at Reading. He was the manager that took me there. So we had that previous relationship with just my partner and I had just had our first child who was... We were up in Manchester and didn't sort of know that many people. She didn't have many friends up there. So to get back to Cambridge to live with my family in West Ham was there. And at the same time, a, a huge football club, fantastic club to be at. I think in terms of me personally, since leaving United, going to Reading, Burnley, I think for the next probably three, four, maybe even five years, I was trying to to sort of change the way I played. I had to find another way and probably weren't at my best as a player. I still was trying to do the things maybe too often that were getting me real joy as I, when I came through in terms of just running at players and maybe not beating them as easily or as well as I could. So I'd done okay at West Ham, but at the same time, it was a real transformational period, period of sort of 
changing that from being wide to being a bit more clever and coming inside, finding pockets to play play on the half turn to add different bits to my game to to be an effective footballer. But thoroughly enjoyed my time at West Ham and was great to be part of that squad that that got back into the Premier League because it was a real tough season where we had a great squad and was probably expected to be at the top of the league and probably just sneaked into the playoffs in the end and beat Preston to get up and we were under massive pressure at Upton Park. Obviously, the fans weren't happy because we weren't at the top of the league and great credit to Alan Pardew. I've never seen a manager under so much pressure, getting so much stick and sort of come back from it and then still succeed how he did and had another great season in the Premier League after that and getting to the FA Cup final. So, for me personally, probably didn't excel as a player, but it was a thoroughly enjoyable season that I had at West Ham. Definitely. And you know, you obviously went on to play for other clubs such as Norwich, Stoke, MK Dons, and Cambridge, obviously your hometown club eventually. What would you say, if you know, I think back to the, you know, I guess the start of your playing journey in that respect, that was maybe integral for you to, in terms of you becoming a pro in the first place? I think for me, I probably owe everything to, to Manchester United in terms of becoming someone who could have a career in professional football. Like obviously, the tactical information that I got there to become a player, but more importantly, that sort of what it takes, some sort of personal skills that you need in terms of that resilience, the hard work, that sort of thing that's sort of instilled into you at a real young age at Manchester United. So I'd say it's some lessons, obviously, suffering from a fair few injuries, but hanging in there as it were having that resilience to to carry on so I'd, it was the lessons that I learned as a young player at Manchester United that that allowed me to to have a career in professional football and uh, just in regards to that you've already uh, touched on the injuries that you've had uh, uh, and that's there can obviously be like real setbacks um, uh, to you but like what did uh, a coach do in that time to help support you through that? Like, how did they do? Yeah, I think sort of it's maybe not so much now, like coming through as a young player. I think when you're injured, it's, it can be seen as a crime sometimes. You're not the most popular person in the dressing room when you're injured in terms of the staff, which is not fair at all, really, because every player wants to be fit. I think there's, there's coaches that do it better than others that sort of support you and sort of, understand what's happening I think you we can be too quick as coaches to forget what it was like as to be a player I think at times where I'm sure a lot of the coaches that had the ump with me when I weren't playing had the same problems themselves and I think it's about learning about what it's like mentally because it's a horrible place to be injured at the same time I think in my case I think the injuries although were tough at the time there was always an opportunity of really ref, to reflect and I think the injuries that I've had gave me that opportunity to improve as a person, which, although you probably don't think it at the time when you're in a professional football, is probably more than important than being the footballer because you're a long time retired, you're a long time not playing football, and it's important to develop as a person and be a good person. That's more important than anything else, really, I think. No, definitely. I, I agree. I feel like um, when you are injured which you kind of take like a glass half full sort of perspective where like it means that you've got a bit of a break now to kind of uh, look at your game from the outside instead of the inside and, uh, you know, just take some opportunities to, you know, try to like mentally improve your game in some, in some sort of way. Um, yeah, and I think um, I, 
I used to have, because I got injured, I lost it so much, I had a little way of dealing with it. I think that if I had a serious injury, the, the first week I'd just allow myself to feel sorry for myself, have a week of that, and then I think you get bored of it, and then you've really got a, a plan to follow, and it's, it is an opportunity to come back stronger every time you do get injured. There's obviously bits you can be doing in the gym, strengthening them up, so you've always got that attitude of, when I come back, I'll be better than ever, really. Yeah. No, that's a great perspective to have. And um, at what age did you start uh, then doing your coaching badges? So I, when I was a scholar at Man United, this was the first injury I probably had. I had a hernia operation when the lads were all doing their level two, which you do as a scholar. So they'd done that at the Cliff Training Ground. And I was couldn't join in the training session. So in all honesty, just mugged it off. I just sat up top on the balcony mucking about with the other injured lads, didn't pay any attention. So stupidly never got that level two coaching badge as a scholar. So I probably st I started my level two probably at 32 or 33 years old up at St George's Park while I was playing for Cambridge United. I went, drove up there with Harrison Dunk, who was a Cambridge player. Kevin Phillips was doing the, the coaching award as well. And I was I was so far out my comfort zone. It was... It was unbelievable. I sort of the sessions were quite straightforward. I understood that sort of thing, but the thought of being in front of my peers and taking the session, doing the assessment, and the most of the lads were the same. There was a guy there. I won't mention his name, but he must have played six hundred odd first first team appearances, and he just left the course because he weren't comfortable taking the session in front of him. And that was that's what what I felt like. I was thinking there was one day, and me and Dunks were driving up there, and we were both so nervous because we were doing our assessment of the course and it was it was more nervous nerve-wracking than, than playing a game of football and this is me and him another professional football all we're doing is taking a session in that futsal hall at St George's with about 10 other guys that were in exactly the same position but it was a really stepping out my comfort zone doing that level two and I was so proud of myself it was sounds a bit strange really because it's obviously it's really good course, but in terms of the knowledge, you've probably got all the knowledge that, that goes with it in terms of the tactical detail, but so proud that I went through with it and completed that. It was probably the, really the kickstarted and the catalyst to go through my, my coaching qualifications. So, you know, obviously now taking that level two, um, so you say what, 32, so we're looking at maybe around 2012, 2013 sort of time? Yeah, I'd say, yeah, around that, I can't... Yeah. How does the journey continue from there in terms of the coaches? Obviously, you know, around that, you know, I think it was a couple of years later, you've obviously ended up back at Cambridge um, in a coaching role. What's, what was the time frame in between that? So, then I think that was all done through the PFA and they, they were quite, said, oh, we think you've done really well. This is the UA for B course for their ex-professionals. So, I think it ended up being that summer I went up and it was like an, the way they do it with, because obviously they're playing commitments with some of the players that still play. It was a case of 10 days straight at, at St. George's Park, sort of doing the, the bits and bobs, doing all the learning about it. Then you'd go back up there 10 or 12 times during the season to carry on your, your progression. And that, that really blew my mind, really, just watching the tutors coach, the detail to it. It was there was so much information we were getting in, in such a short space of time. I remember just the first day I'd had so much information. I was thinking, what, 
I don't know what I'm doing here. I've done the level two, but this is just, there's so much detail, detail to it. I just thought, like, I'll stick with it, but surely I ain't going to be able to catch up so fast as to be on a par with these tutors that just made it look so easy in what they were doing in terms of running the session, managing the session, getting their coaching points out, that sort of thing. So that was probably the most I've ever learned in such a short space of time in terms of coaching was on that UEFA B course, that intense time, and then just sort of taking that away and after the 10 days and really reflecting on it. I was, at the time, I was really worried that I'm just getting fed too much information here. I'm not going to be able to take it on board. I'm just, I'm not going to remember anything because it's just coming so thick and fast. But I think the big lesson on it was that sort of reflection time that you take away. So I spent probably a, to add a week after it and then really reflected on it and sort of made loads of notes of, of what I'd learned and sort of them real important details that I took from it. And then I was, when I went back into the, to the visits every twice a month or whatever we'd done, I was so much more comfortable and I'd really taken the lessons that I'd learned from that original 10 days. So it was probably that, it was that summer we'd done that and probably about nine months after that where I would have, completed my UEFA B coaching assessment and again that feeling of joy we've done it up at the big sports hall at St George's Park the big 4G or whatever it is and I remember we were taking the Peterborough Scholars came up and I took them and my session was I got my session to do for the assessment was defending crosses and I thought oh no what do I know about defending crosses <laughs> it's the worst one possible but it was um the kids were great and made it real easy for me. It was like a 25, 35 minute assessment. It went really well. And then to get told that, it reminded me of when I finally passed my driving test, that feeling of sheer relief and happiness. And again, probably as proud as anything I've ever done as a player, because I was so, as a player, I was quite comfortable that I was quite good at football and I could be effective on a pitch. But as a coach, I was just really stepping into the unknown. So I was really proud of myself to, to have achieved the UA for me. Fantastic. So you talk about that UFB journey, obviously getting having that bit of a, a re relief, obviously knowing that you finally passed UA for B. So we're now maybe 2014, yeah. 15 sort of thing. Yeah, it'd be around. Yeah, like 2014. Was it before be. before or after you were playing for Cambridge? So that was that was after. That was I came to the end of that. Summer, I didn't get another contract. Right. Is when I done the ten days. All right. And look, you know, obviously, you know, in the latter stage of your career, then at Cambridge, not being offered another contract, that's not where the career ended in terms of playing. You actually ended up moving on to one more club, didn't you? Yeah. So uh, I don't. Um, me, one of my old mates was a manager, and a couple of my old mates at some Town Rangers. So I went and um, played for them. And I, to be fair, I absolutely loved it. It was. It weren't as serious, obviously, as professional football. It was a great bunch of lads. Like the, the banter in the dressing room was really good. I sort of, I don't know if I should say this, but <clears throat> got a little brown envelope after the game. And it was the first time I'd have a bit of cash in my pocket. My missus wouldn't know I was getting paid. I'd just say I was doing it to help out my mate, Robbie. So I'd just sort of have a bit of first time <laughs> in years. I've had a bit of money that she didn't know about. So I'd keep it to myself. <laughs> Let's just make sure she's not watching this then, yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, you spent, you spent that year with Sherman Town Rangers. Um, eventually, you called it, called it time in your career. Hung up those boots, so to speak. And you've now then taken a step into coaching, uh, uh, I guess, officially now. 
um, moving back into the academy at Cambridge United. Is that correct? Yeah. So I, during that season or so, where I weren't, I was just at Soham. I, I volunteered. I'd done some work with the futsal program at Cambridge University. I um, worked with the the university football team and had a bit of work with the development centres at the club to. I got I sort of got my qualifications, but no experience in coaching whatsoever. Have so, you? Did you manage to get onto UEFA A license by this point, or out of that? Yeah. So again, I was the way it worked out. I was like I said, I probably rushed through the the qualifications a little too quickly, but it just seemed to everything worked out perfectly for me in terms of I finished UEFA B and they recommended me onto the UEFA A immediately and then the, the, the start of the UEFA was that summer so everything clicking into place really in terms of I was getting these coaching qualifications I'd managed to to do my youth award and complete the assessment of that by the work I was doing with the, the young kids at Cambridge United that done the futsal program so I was just ticking off the coaching awards maybe like I say doing them a little bit quickly not taking time to really reflect and take all the lessons in but when the opportunity came up and I was so keen to get in my foot in the door and get a job that I thought I'd be silly not to, to take up the opportunities that were arising, really. Mm. So now, obviously, now looking at that, you talked a bit about the Cambridge University stuff, doing a bit of stuff at the Centre of Excellence. We ended up at Cambridge United in the academy now. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think back in 2017 when it was in were you lead phase coach at the time? Yeah, so I, I interviewed, the job came up, Cambridge were going to offer me some sort of job. I think it would have been sort of in one of their college programmes and with the, the sort of the one that sits underneath the academy. Then the job came up as a, the foundation phase lead coach. And again, things just worked in my favour. I had no experience, but I'd obviously had a, quite a good reputation at the club as a, a decent player, but quite a, a, a good guy sort of thing. And I'd got my UEFA B, I was enrolled in my UEFA A, I knew the people that worked there, so I, I went in, chucked my CV in the ring for the foundation phase league coach. To be honest, I didn't think I'd have any chance whatsoever of getting it, I just thought they'll get someone with more experience that's done that, so I went in, got interviewed, spoke to the academy manager and sort of got the job, which was, I was absolutely I couldn't believe and I was delighted particularly like the feedback I got as was that as soon as I um, threw my CV and I was going to be like the favourite to get the job because of that, which I found. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quite surprising in terms of there's probably a lot more experienced youth coaches are, but I think what Cambridge had a great staff, but maybe not 
I think it is important that some members of staff have a, a background in playing the game at, at quite a high level. So I think that sort of swung it for me because they didn't probably have that at the club mm. at the time. Just touching on it because it's interesting that you make that point because I feel like there is a lot of uh, roles out there, especially within the academy football, um, where they are offered out to ex-pros and ex-pros are sometimes prioritised. Now, something that you just touched on there about... <coughs> sorry. Something you touched on there about not really expecting anything and just throwing your hat, in, hat uh, you know, throwing your hat in, in, the, in the race, so, so to speak. But a lot of that comes down to self-confidence. And I think, you, you know, it'd be interesting to just get your views and just talk to you how important that is. Because I feel like a lot of coaches, I mean, I've certainly got a similar approach to you in the sense, you know, if there's an opportunity just to fly, it, nothing's going to change it, really. You know, I mean, if you don't get the opportunity, doesn't you, the situation's still the same, really, isn't it? Um, and if you get the opportunity, then you're in, you're in, a, you're in a positive um, positive trajectory in that respect. But I feel like a lot of coaches will almost self-talk them out of maybe, or just people in general self-talk themselves out of maybe going for certain opportunities because maybe they're not too confident or they're not, um, they don't think they're ready or they feel like there's other people that are going are gonna to beat them to it or whatnot. Would you mind just talking to, talking to that a little bit in terms of how important it is to maybe adopt that sort of mindset sometimes and just, just, just go for it? Yeah, I think we've, there's a problem in the world in general, really, of a, of a fear of rejection where people are scared to get turned down. I've, I've suffered from it before where I wouldn't do something in case I couldn't do it. And I think once you open yourself up to rejection and you, you treat it in a different way, it can open up so many more doors and avenues in your life, really, to, to just do it. I mean, I think a big thing on the, the coaching awards is I was quite shocked at the feedback that I'd get sometimes in terms of it was quite tough for me. And I'd, when I first got it, I'd think in, I'd take it personally. My ego would take a hit. But I think if you can step away from your ego and sort of use rejection as a positive and a, a step forward, I think... Like you say, what's the worst that can happen? I think the more you can say yes, the more you can try different things. If an opportunity, if you want to do something, was it Michael Jordan says he missed a, a thousand shots that he didn't take or something like that? You, you may as well just open yourself up. You only get one, one go at it, didn't you? You've only got one life. So I think it is important to accept rejection sometimes and really step away from that ego, open yourself up and deal with things. It's a great learning process dealing with rejection I'm sure everyone's dealt with it from one time or another for one reason or another so I think a less a massive lesson I've learned since stopping playing football is to open myself up to rejection I think we're all scared as footballers so people saying you've had a bad game and you want to argue back even though you probably know you've been crapping the game or whatever it's just sort of that ego that can that can really hold you back and certainly hold held me back in certain periods in my life yeah you just touched on about obviously developing that mindset where was there a particular point for you where that mindset started to shift obviously you touched on it there, but you know after your playing career ended sort of thing but was there a particular moment where you thought actually i really need to change about how how i'm looking at things here yeah i think obviously i found it hard as a lot of people do to to stop playing football and that career coming to an end and that real loss of identity where do you really fit in the world now you've always been known as since the age of probably eight nine ten as the football player the one that could be a footballer and then the footballer and then now what really it was a tough period where I really had to 
learn about myself even more. I'm out of this bubble of professional football more. I need to find another path in life and do something that's going to make me feel happy, really. So I think the real, the real time for me where I've really stepped away from that and sort of just given every opportunity is when I loved the, my peers at Cambridge United in terms of the staff that I worked with. The players were great, but I didn't love what I was doing. I didn't love my time in academy football. I didn't wake up thinking I, I, I really enjoy my life. I've sort of just done it because I was so happy to, to have got a job. I didn't think I could do anything else because I was a football footballer now. I'm a football coach and that's just me. But I just had to admit to myself really that academy football weren't right for me. Some people will absolutely love it and rightly so. It's some great things going on there. But I think for me, it wasn't right. And I think since stepping away from professional football, it's really given me the confidence to understand that I can do other things. There is so many opportunities there if I open myself up to them and try different things and find something. It's always going to be hard to find something that replicates being a professional footballer, but because that's the best job in the world for me, because that's what I wanted to do. But now I need to find something as close to pot as possible to that to give me that buzz and to be open enough to get rejected doing some things to find something that I truly love doing. Hmm. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that you kind of uh, said that that it wasn't for you because I feel like um, the way a lot of coaches think, especially coaches that may not had the the sort of um, professional playing experience that you've had, is that like they think of it like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to start a foundation phase and work my way up to the thing but really there's some that are actually really good in foundation phase there'll be some that are really good in youth development phase and pro and the pvp uh in regards to you why did you not like feel like it was right for you to be like that um i just didn't i didn't know what benefit i was giving really in terms of in academy football i think there's probably there's too many kids in it and it's not not their fault but they're they're in it for that to get into the is purely in it to become a professional footballer weeks and they forget about the journey the fantastic journey that they're on the chances are it's so hard in it to become a professional footballer and if it if it is all about the journey then it's such a dedication for them to do it three times a week play on a sunday etc etc to not do that there weren't enough weren't enough smiles for me. I didn't, I didn't think enough people were, were loving what they were doing. They were loving playing football. And like, that might have been down to my coaching why they weren't smiling because my sessions weren't good enough or weren't enjoyable enough. But it, it just didn't sit right with me, the whole, the whole industry. And don't get me wrong, I understand why clubs have to do it and get kids in so young. But for me, at six, seven, eight, nine, ten, even tw- like, I think it's, I think it's too much. I think they're, too much in that environment of a professional environment and I I just didn't want to be part of it to be honest with you and I completely understand why why it goes on and there's some brilliant fantastic work that goes on but for me it just didn't sit right with me I didn't really there was a lot of ego in it and I was I could my ego could take over at time be on the side of a pitch I'm taking a bloody under 14s game or something and I'm I'm desperate to win. I'm bloody arguing with a referee about a decision. I'm having an argument with a coach on their coach about something like that. I, just, I didn't like what it 
what it brought out in me because I just don't think kids' football should be like that. I think it should be they're loving what they're doing, having fun. They don't want me shouting at the referee and that the next thing I'm having to go at them because they're shouting at the referee, but that's what I'm doing at the side of the pitch. So I didn't really like that side that it brought out in me because maybe I've not spent enough time in academy football and I'm treating it like the professional game that I've come out, as it were. So it was, it just, it, it weren't for me at the end of the day. That's fair. And um, I'm, I'm glad that like you kind of have that self-awareness there to, um, to recognise that. Uh, as well as that, like when you did start the coaching, I know that granted it wasn't an academy football, what sort of differences did you see? Because, and what did you feel like your playing experience helped you with when you did like fully start to coach her? Um, I think like my playing experience helped within the academy stuff, but that sort of maybe more the softer skills where I could offer advice to people of maybe experiences that I'd gone through to to get through and come out the other end. In terms of the session, like I, don't, I was always so conscious about being big-headed because I'd had a career in professional football. I think there's, there can be a divide, really, in coaches that haven't played the game at a high level and coaches that have, where at times I've been around ex-professional players that do perceive that they know better than someone that hasn't played the game and I've also experienced players, coaches that haven't played the game just think that he's a big head because he's played the game. It doesn't mean that he knows any more than me. So I was so, always so conscious of that. And for me, the, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's what you're, you're offering the children, really, in terms of their development, both on and off the pitch. It makes no odds whether you've played for England or you've, you've never played before in your life, really. So... I think in terms of what it done for me, it was more the softer skills of offering advice, but at the same time, there's probably negatives from it because I'd just come out of a professional football club environment and was probably a little bit too like that, particularly in the early days of what it takes to become a professional footballer. And bear in mind that I was a foundation lead coach and I'm dealing with seven to 11 year olds. It probably weren't what they needed at the time. So it was important that I learned lessons quickly in terms of what, the individual needs and how to to help them. I've always been a great believer of, of as soon as it comes away from being about the kids, you've got no chance really. I think at times some coaches, this is all over really, grassroots coaches, academy coaches, whoever, as soon as it turns in to about them, we've lost what it's all about because no one's going to develop really. It has to be completely player-led, completely about the children and about their personal development. Just no, yes, gone. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, just in in regards to that, uh, what what happened next then for you after the you know lead fun, lead foundation phase? Uh, you know, shouting at the referees. <laughs> what was the next step in your coaching journey? So, I think I was given the foundation phase role to get me in the door, really. I think it was never seen as something... I really enjoyed it. I loved the, the little, little tiny ones, like, start their first signing for the club and that sort of thing. But I think it was seen that I could offer more to the older players. So after that initial season as foundation phase lead coach, then I was the youth development 
FA's lead coach, which was obviously another, not a step up, but probably more suited for what I was doing, the more age as a player. So my responsibility would to sort of manage and be in charge of organising the 13s, 14s, 15s, but my role would be the lead coach for the 16s as well, which was obviously something that I thought would be another step in the right direction of what I was doing, but again, never like, took that role, probably was more effective in sort of helping the children, but never again was still getting up in the morning thinking, I don't know if this is, this is the life for me really. It's just on that then, Luke, you know, what, what is it that does help you feel, uh, I guess, inspired and keep you motivated in it? Because obviously you've started to assess and started to do a lot of reflection in this stage, really assessing whether this is something for you. What, you know, what would you say is something that keeps you motivated in that respect? So, so at the minute I'm sort of involved in a kids coaching company called uh, the Football Fun Factory, which is, is all around just, as the name suggests, making football fun. It's not about developing and getting players into academies. It's purely about children of all ages and abilities from 2 to 12 just coming to our sessions and us having the responsibility really of developing a love of football in them that will hopefully last a lifetime and at the same time developing positive life skills like sportsmanship. So it's, again, I'm passionate about that. I'm probably not passionate about coaching that, although I do enjoy it. I probably get more reward out of that because everyone's just smiling and we are just making it fun. But I'm passionate about growing that and really trying to see football fun factories all over the world. So there is that avenue for kids that might not be particularly good at football, but they still want to play. They just want to go and play football with their mates. They just want to have a bit of fun. They want to give it a go. And just having that challenge of them all over the place. So there is other avenues, but every child's got an avenue to play to play football, whether they're, they're gifted, they're not gifted, or they just want to see what it's all about, really. So I'm really passionate about growing that. That's really give me something to, to look at, to aim for in the future. And that sort of building relationships with people, trying to really grow that organisation is something that's really given me a similar buzz to what I had as a player, really. And at the same time, where I do my sessions is where I went to school, where my kids go, oh, it's within five minutes of my house. So I'm giving something back to the, the community where I learned to play football, as it were. So I do feel like, I feel like I'm adding more benefit doing that in terms of just coaching the real elite players of the area around Cambridge United. Well, I've got the opportunity to be involved in hundreds of children's lives, hopefully in a positive way, rather than 25, 30 that might become a professional footballer at the end of the day. I think um, that's a decent uh, incentive there because, as you can imagine, uh, in our sort of day and age when we were growing up, we were playing out until uh, like, the sun went down. And in this day and age, a lot of them are uh, stuck in front of screens and uh, whatnot, you know, because of the way society is. They, could, they can't really go out like that. So it's quite, it's quite good that you have this little one set up there that you're doing to bridge the gap there. Um, you've already kind of touched on it. But, like, I just wanted you to delve more into it. Like, you've obviously had major influences in your career. Um, 
uh, who were they in the form of mentors and what are like the biggest lessons that you've learned? I think the, the biggest lessons I've ever learned were, were life lessons, really. I think as a footballer, I was probably a coach's nightmare at times because I went, I was quite off the cuff. I'd just play like I play in a playground at school. Really. I was sort of quite a free spirit. I'd want to do different things. So the, obviously the tactical stuff, came more and more into my game and that sort of thing. But they're probably not the, the lessons I remember. It's more of the human side of it. Obviously, Sir Alex and the staff at Manchester United, just around them sort of being humble, hard work's required in anything you do. And then the good people that I've had the fortune of playing under, the likes of Tony Pulis, John Gorman, who was an amazing human being who just taught me so many lessons of, being a good person, what it takes and sort of the longevity of doing that. So I think all the, the lessons that I've learned have been the main lessons have been life lessons that, that I've had throughout the, my career in the game and been lucky enough to have been around wonderful people to learn these lessons. What would you say has been one of your biggest challenges in your coaching journey so far? Then obviously, you know, long career as a player. Uh, still you know relatively new in the coaching world maybe for, you know, a few years in what would you say has been the biggest challenge you've had so far I wish you touched on there a little bit about academy football not being right for you and whatnot but is there anything particular aside from those things there that you thought actually this is I'm still getting to grips with this yeah, so I think it's, something like, as a full-time member of staff my biggest challenge in terms of academy football was being fresh for the sessions because there seemed to be so much time when you're in an office I didn't have a scooby-doo what I was doing when I first started I'm sort of just sat in the office everyone else is working away and I'm not a hundred percent sure what my role is so it's a steep learning curve but it was a real challenge to um to be fresh at the session I'm not I'm not used to the real world as it were I'm used to be sat at home at half one after training watching Jeremy Kyle or whatever on the tv now I'm working 12, 14 hour days. So that it was a real challenge to to learn how to deal with that and be sort of fresh for the sessions. I think I've always been quite good since obviously going through my level two UAP of taking critique on board. So all the lessons that I learned from my peers at Cambridge United who sort of watched me closely because I was so new in terms of not making it about being a professional footballer so early. Like all them little lessons were a steep learning curve. But I think I've learned the lessons quite well because I was adept at taking feedback on board, positive and negative. Well, I think at times some former players aren't great at taking negative feedback on board and maybe see it as a, as a personal insult against them. So I think the, the biggest challenge has been sort of the hours that you work as an academy coach. But in terms of learning quickly, I think I've managed to do that because having that sort of open mind and a, the attitude to, to take critique on board. Hmm. And uh, just, uh, just in regards to that, how did that help you in terms of um, kind of identifying the, the bugbears? I know there's been a, a short sort of uh, coach journey, coaching journey so far, but do you have like any particular bugbears when it comes to coaching? No, the biggest one is just when I sort of when it looks like it's it's about the the coach and not about the player. I just and not like I'm as guilty as anyone, but I just can't stand the ego of it in terms of 
See what I know, you can understand it when you're watching on the Premier League and Mourinho strutting his stuff and whatever. That's sort of part of the game. But I just don't understand it in academy football. But at the same time, I was sucked into it as well. So I'm not having a go at anyone. But I think that is, it has to be all children, like player-led. It has to be just about the development of the players, like I alluded to earlier. Because then I think it does just professionalise it too early and it is, it's don't get me wrong it's hard to do when you're you're used to being on a pitch and moaning at the ref you think you can do it at the sideline but it ain't right because like the 99 these kids ain't gonna make it but we need to make sure that they're still they leave the club at the very least a better human being and a more grounded more humble more hard-working child than when they they came into the system hmm. And uh, you, yeah, okay, so you you continue to be like constantly doing this different project. So now you're on the football fund project. You're on Cambridge. You obviously had your long playing career. What continually keeps you inspired to be your best? What continue to motivate you to do this? I think I'm motivated by improving, Not probably more in terms of improving as a person, always every day trying to be a better person. What can I do? What can I add another string to my bow to become a better person? And just looking to, like I said, I really struggled when I stopped playing football, but I feel like since stepping away from the professional game, it's given me a sort of a, a new lease of life, really. So just trying new things. Every, every day is a new challenge. And a real positive attitude touch wood that I've got at the moment. And I'm just happy to carry on doing that. Just general self-improvement all the time, really. Obviously, I have days when I'm a moody old bugger and I've got the ump about something. But in general, I like to feel I'm quite a happy, bubbly person. So every day I can do that is worthwhile, really. Brilliant. Now, you know, as we start to wind down now, I just wanted to kind of take you back to the start of your, maybe your playing journey initially and obviously then your back to 2012 when did you level two again if you could go back and speak to Luke Chadwick of you know initially as a player and then obviously you know starting his coaching journey back then what messages would you want to give him um to be honest I just I'd, I'd live the same life I think I'd, I think the advice what I could have done particularly as a young boy at United coming through was work harder with the the strength the strength stuff the gym stuff to maybe make myself so I weren't as prone to the injuries that I had as a early on at United, but was to play football. The fantasy was always every night as a nine to fifteen year old going to bed was dreaming about scoring a goal for for Cambridge United at the Newmarket Road end, which I which I ended up doing in the end. But I think it'd just be to any young player, just enjoy the journey. You you, you never know when it's going to end, and I I like to think. I enjoyed it, but obviously there's loads of ups and downs. So maybe just enjoy it a little bit more. And as a coach? As a coach, I think the advice I would have given was maybe slow down a little bit, sort of maybe reflect on the lessons that you learn from these, these coaching awards and take a bit more time out. I think I maybe rushed through them a little bit, but I think just... The advice I give as to any coach, to me as a coach, just with young players, it is it's all about them. Make sure that their journey 
is an enjoyable one wherever wherever they may end up. And um, obviously, you've uh, you've done you've you've done a bit now in the in the coaching, and slowly starting to kind of identify like where you feel you can add to it. What is particularly for Luke Chadwick in the coaching world? That's a tough question, I think. I'm not, I don't know if coaching is, is my future. I don't know if that's, um, I know your, your podcast is all about that coaching journey, but I'm not sure. It might be a little, little bit of a different story where I'm like, I don't know if coaching is for me. I think there's fantastic coach out there's aspects to coaching. I, I absolutely love, but I'm not sure if it's for me long term being a football coach. So if it wasn't down the coaching, what would it be for you then? Have you got any particular ideas in terms of where you might want to end up, up next? Not really. Like I say, Take I think it's just... It comes, yeah? yeah, I'm sort of... I've done some some stuff on the radio, which I really enjoyed. I, don't get me wrong, I can't see myself being an ex-Gary Neville or Jamie Carragher, but I, enjoy, I, think, I just like... I think I'm... Like I say, as a footballer, as a person, I'm quite free-spirited. So I'm, I like the idea of having a couple of different things, a couple of different projects that I'm involved in and sort of just sort of going around about things that way. I still like offering advice. I still speak to professional players. I still speak to young players coming through. And I do, I like that building relationships, the softer skills where I just, the the big thing as me as a coach, this might sound silly. I just get sick of hearing my own voice in terms of when I'm shouting onto the pitch, when I'm, talking to large groups in a dress room and I'm raising, I just get sick of hearing my own voice where I'm more inclined, interested in them softer skills of sort of maybe one-to-one conversations, sort of make the, a little bit of mentoring that I've been doing. I enjoy that and still, still having a foot in the door of them real talented players, but obviously got a nice mix of working with grassroots and inexperienced players in a football fun factory. So I'm quite um, in enjoying what I'm doing at the moment in terms of just little bits and bobs here and there. Fantastic. And, you know, if we were to kind of give you, a, you know, 60 seconds now to really package away, I think in your case, maybe two golden nuggets, one for, you know, potential player going growing up that maybe watching this or even as a coach watching this now, what, what would you what would those golden nuggets be? I think the one golden nugget, or it's probably quite obvious really, I think to be successful in something, you've got to love what you're doing. I, mean, I had a conversation with one of my kids the other night and he was saying, well, what, what can I do to, to make loads of money? I said, whatever you do, whether you make loads of money or not, the people that do make loads of money are doing stuff that they love doing because that's why they're good at it. You're, you're good at something because you love doing it. You might not be brilliant at it to start with, but if you love doing it, you carry on doing it. And obviously, the more you do something, the better you get. So I think the key to, to life and happiness is really finding something that you love and doing it really, whether that is in relationships, in work, in whatever you're doing, in a hobby. But I think that is a way of being happy by doing things that you love doing. Brilliant. Well, look, we're going to finish on a quick fire round for us, Luke. Um, so a couple of quick questions for you. Best play you played alongside? Paul Scholes. Okay. Best play you played against? Thierry Henry. Okay. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you the best manager, but I don't think it's a... Doubt <laughs> that one. Any doubt that one. Um, so, so, biggest game you played? Probably came on 
on the first in month. the Champions League quarter final against Bayern Munich. So only for about eight, nine minutes, I think it was. But still, that was probably definitely the biggest game I've ever came on in. Brilliant. Well, look, guys, there you have it. It's been another fantastic discussion again today. Some brilliant insights, plenty of golden nuggets for everyone to take away and apply and explore the journey of a player and so far as a coach of Luke Chadwick, ex-Man United, West Ham, Norwich, Reading, you know, just to name a few. Um, I just want to say thanks again for tuning in, guys, as well as, um, you know, thanks to my co-host Ben and obviously Luke for your time this morning. And on that note, um, I'm not sure if you've got any social media handles, if yeah, so just Football Fun Factory, it's all over sort of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm not 100% sure how they all work, but I think footballfunfactory.co.uk is a website. Check it out. There's coaching opportunities there if this is going out to, to coach, if they want to get in touch, yeah. feel free. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.